Rhonda Blair. I'm a professor in the Division of Theater. Um, and I have been here since 1995, and it is my great pleasure uh, to be able to talk with one of my very, very best friends, Patty Delaney, who has been here since 1974 in one way or another. Off and on, yeah. Off and on. Uh, who is an associate professor and former chair of the Division of Dance, um, where she also teaches choreography and dance history and theory and composition and all kinds of things like that. So, Patty, um, what a joy to get to talk with you. So here we are on the verge of beginning our last semester of full-time regular teaching before going into a year of so-called sabbatical, <laughs> before retiring in uh, June of 2021. And so um, I would love to know a bit about your journey, uh, beginning from where you grew up and your family and what are the things in that you've always been interested in and cared about and what has been your path to this moment in which we find ourselves, in which uh, we're, we're looking at another transition. Another transition, yeah, yeah which I'm very excited about. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, have you know I guess we all have an interesting family life I think mine's kind of kind of interesting from the fact that my parents were New Yorkers and um you know sort of sort of grew up on Long Island but grew up with that proximity to New York mm -hmm. and both of them were creative people mm -hmm. and when my father got into academia and left the service on the GI Bill to go mm -hmm. back to school mm -hmm. like so many of his generation did uh, he became a teacher, and so we ended up in this very small town in East Texas. <laughs> and um, you know, well, since we're in Texas, which town was this? <laughs> Greenville, Texas. Yeah. It's about sixty miles northeast of here. And um, you know, I clearly remember my driving down the street and seeing the sign. This was nineteen sixty-four. Yeah. The sign that said "The Blackest Land and the Whitest People." And my mother started howling, talking yeah. to my father about she'd bought him to the end of the earth. Mm -hmm. So I had this interesting. Um, Growing up with m these wonderful parents who were creative and had grown up in the New York environment and living in this small town. Uh, so I got the best of, of them for sure. And mm -hmm. also because I had such a large extended family in New York, my mother was the youngest of 11, oh, wow. I had the opportunity to spend time in New York and had a you know wonderful, interesting family. So I'm just going to tell you about one of them because she had a huge influence on mm -hmm. me. Uh, so this is my Aunt Drusilla. Her name was Drusilla Strain, which is such a great name. Strain? Dis Drusilla Strain. Oh, wow. And she was a glorified Ziegfeld girl. <gasps> so she was in the Ziegfeld Follies for years and years, and she's in many uh, books and the beautiful pictures of her. And then she married a record producer. So when we went home, you know, it was always, when is Aunt Drusilla coming? And she was actually pretty instrumental in getting me dancing, which is why I wanted mm -hmm, to talk about mm -hmm. her, because I think she saw, you know, because I was always moving around and dancing around to music, and I think she saw at a young age that I was pretty passionate, and she would always encourage me to dance at family gatherings. So I was kind of like... Put on some music. We're all going to watch Patty dance. When you know, from the any time particular I, kind of dancing. Uh, when you were know, child? whatever came to me. I think I thought <laughs> it was Isadora Duncan. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, whatever whatever came to me at the time. And she was just such a beautiful woman. And my mother too. I mean, my mother. My parents were very. Well, I remember Miss Marge. She was a fabulous human being. She was, and she uh, she loved to tell the story that when she was pregnant with me, she was in a. Uh, production of Pajama Game. And so all my life, my mother sang, I love you a bushel and a peck to me, uh, you know, with, with that understanding mm -hmm. between us that I certainly knew the musical guys and dolls and also mm -hmm. that she was pregnant with me when she mm -hmm. was in it. But anyway, I think that combination of a, of a creative family and then this sort of 
perspective that growing up in a small East Texas mm-hmm. town gives you. I think it makes you curious in a kind of interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound bad? No. Uh, <laughs> but no. anyway, that's that's certainly a, a big part of why why I cho- chose the journey to be a dancer. Right. So so Drusilla was kind of the one who made a space and gave you a role model. And then so when did your formal training start as a dancer? I started when I was about seven. Wow. I started at a um, what would be like a YMCA. Mm-hmm. It was uh, mm-hmm. you know a place that. Um, you know, to go after school because both my parents worked. And so it was one of the things that, you know, was sort of our arrangement that we would, would do that. And, um, so I started dancing there and you know, what's really interesting to me, and I don't even really know how this happened, but by the time I was 10, I was teaching. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, but my parents really realized that uh, teaching in that place right and was was this basic ballet oh yeah I was yeah you know I didn't know enough to teach more the than five positions point, you know yeah, I didn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know but um you know for little bitty mm-hmm. three and four year olds it was good enough you know? yeah um, but my parents really recognized the passion and they took me to a really good teacher you know someone who had been in the ballet russe and and you know had a, a real strong um technical perspective and so that began me thinking about it and that was in Austin so when we moved to Greenville I didn't really have the opportunity to study with someone of that caliber not to take away from Betty Hogue who was my teacher she she was she was a lovely woman and was very encouraging and you know always recognized my passion and gave me the opportunity to teach and of course in that environment you do ballet tap and jazz (laughs) you do it all you know which actually I'm grateful I'm grateful for that yeah. Because it made me curious about all forms of dance, right. you know, right. and gave me a nice background. And then uh, when I was in high school, I was the captain of the drill team. <laughs> and that was my first real experience with choreography. Uh-huh. Because drill you team. had to, yeah, because wow. as the captain of the drill team, you had to choreograph. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, that really got me. That was the first real opportunity I had to choreograph. So, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. So and was that was it, high school, right? That was high school, yeah. And then um, after uh, high school... I went. Well, okay, so how did you get to Austin and the Ballet Russe? Oh, well, my father was at the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. And that's where he did his postgraduate work. Mm-hmm. So then his first big job as the head of a foreign language department was at East Texas State University in, in Commerce. In Commerce, which is right. A ways from Commerce. Mm-hmm. And my parents thought, well, Greenville has a better school system, so we'll live in Greenville. Mm-hmm. And then my parents divorced, and my father moved to be a dean at the University of Illinois at Chicago Circle. So I got to spend time in Chicago, thank God, <laughs> <laughs> as well as Greenville. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and both my parents, really, you know, they would have supported me, whatever I wanted to yeah. do. But it was really coming to a summer workshop at SMU that got me really serious about dancing because I had I had not had training like that before. I uh, had not really experienced modern dance on any codified level. And, of course, you get introduced to Graham, and that's a very codified level. Yeah. And... Um, so, you know, it was a real eye-opener for me. And so I decided to go to school here because I thought, that here's this opportunity. That opened my eye. I mean, I was just, I really loved the training that And I the got. summer program was run by the Division of Dance? It was. And all the teachers were faculty 
Oh. So I had Karen Creedy, who was oh my, my ballet teacher for years. Yes. I had Bob Beard taught modern. Wow. Uh, and Bob, you know, certainly was uh, on faculty for many, many mm-hmm. years. Uh, and Betty Ferguson, who was also on faculty mm-hmm. for many years, taught jazz. So right off the bat, I mean, you know, in this summer course, I was getting great training. So, so for people who might not know, those three dancers, those three teachers were significant forces in the division of dance. And when I arrived in 95, Karen was still around, Mm -hmm. uh, but Bill and Betty were retired. But those names were all in the air, very much in the air at that point. You know, when I came back to teach here, they were still here. As a matter of fact, Betty was instrumental in hiring me to come Mm -hmm. back to teach here. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I went to, to, uh, undergraduate school and then when I was a junior they asked me to start teaching the non-majors jazz classes which of course we wouldn't do today have an undergraduate teach undergraduates but in those days you know that was uh, certainly in this situation acceptable because I was teaching non-majors jazz classes and so that was a a, you know a a nice introduction to what it's like to teach in academia (laughs) um and then they made me such a nice offer to go to graduate school and and I I you know really wasn't I was married at the time, and it mm-hmm. seemed like a great thing to do. And, you know, uh, the opportunity to continue to teach and build the non-majors program. So mm-hmm. they let me teach as much as I wanted, really. Wow. And so, you know, the stipend that comes with that and sure. all of that. So, you know, and I thought another two years is not really that long. Mm-hmm. And I thank God that was the choice I made mm-hmm. because I was able then to go out and have a professional career. And then when I was ready to come back and teach, I had the MFA. Right. You know, right. so that has that whole, so, you know, that process and those people and the environment, the dance division at SMU has been seminal mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the place where I, you know, began the journey of what my sort of trajectory, my professional career would take. Yeah. Um, So after completing your MFA, what was the next step? Well, it's interesting because um, during, while I was doing my MFA. And this would have been the... uh, 78 to 80 was when I was doing my MFA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I met a really unique and wonderful human being named Dan Kunkel while I was in graduate school. And... We, you know, and of course there were a lot of other wonderful dancers that, and you know, the other thing, important thing about graduate school is I got to keep dancing. Oh, right. You know, I got to keep taking technique every day. I got to perform. It was, you know, like a really wonderful opportunity for me. And of course, you know, all the theoretical stuff that goes along with graduate school too. I mean, this, this is your interview, not mine, but it makes me think about one of the benefits I got out of going back to graduate school was getting the kind of roles I got to keep doing and, you know. So you know, anyway, yeah. Where else are you exposed to these, you know, wonderful master choreographers mm-hmm. who come in to work mm-hmm. and do workshops and set pieces? I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, I, I really got I introduced, a, just in thinking of my interest in musical theater over time, to Lee Theodore. And Lee Theodore uh, was dedicated to reconstructing masterworks of musical theater, original, the original oh, wow. works. So when she came here to do a workshop, I mean, I was learning Fosse and Robbins and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these things. These these people that created American musical theater yeah. in the way we think about it. So that and being here afforded me that opportunity. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't. That was great. You don't have to. You don't have to go to New York to be studying with amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met Dan during that period, and uh, also you know, these dancers. Um, 
some of whom were in graduate school and some of whom were in their last years of undergraduate school, you know, dancing together and getting to know each other, Mm -hmm. respecting Mm -hmm. each other's talent. But for Dan and I, one of the things we did in uh, one of our classes with Betty Ferguson was uh, we created a uh, model for a dance company. So what, you know, we, it, we, we'd already started discussing this as mm-hmm. friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, because everybody in the group had ties here. Right. And nobody really wanted to go to New York. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, that's where you went, you know. Um, yeah. There was a lot of Chicago, L.A., and mm-hmm. all these wonderful places in between you have now. Um, so... Dan and I, you know, we just thought, well, you know, we'll turn this into a project. So we created the whole scenario for a dance company. Uh, we wrote, we even wrote some grants. So we just did a whole package of selling uh-huh. this dance company. And Dan was so important for me in this process because as a, I admired him as a dancer. Mm-hmm. He had this very unique way of being very masculine mm-hmm. uh, in a, you know, in a, this, this grounded sort of raw dancer Mm -hmm. but also then to be incredibly vulnerable with great integrity you Mm -hmm. know so I was just always really drawn Mm -hmm. and he was a really good choreographer he did a soldier's tale and I was the devil in that which was so much fun but um anyway so we you know it was like Hmm. <laughs> I have a barn. Let's put on a show. <laughs> Maybe we should, you know, because all of these friends were sitting around, you know, in those days drinking light beer and talking about um, this. And so we decided um, to go for it. And luckily for me, having already started choreographing some amateur shows, I had come across some people who were willing to give us the seminal money to get going, mm-hmm. uh, one in particular who remained a huge donor over time. But anyway, that process bought us to creating Dancers Unlimited. And, and what was interesting is when we first, you know, we created the entity and it was all SMU alums. When we I first created it, it was all that. SMU alums. Wow. It was all of us who had danced together. And realized over these long conversations into the wee hours mm-hmm. that we were, you know, we were like-minded. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. we had goals. Uh, and so we decided that what we wanted was a repertory company, that we wanted to bring choreographers to Dallas mm-hmm. to expose ourselves, of course, and also to Dallas right. to the idea of this broader thinking right. about dance. Because we only had a ballet company at that time. And we had Dallas Black, which is, of course, a huge piece of the dance life of Dallas but that was really uh, the only modern perspective we had so so we started Dancers Unlimited we had this wonderful studio downtown when downtown was like nobody goes downtown right it was scared to death and of course we could rent it for six hundred dollars I mean it was still kind of like that when I got here in 95 there wasn't much going on it was another world you know and when we you know tell people we have a studio they'd be like oh my god you know it's like whoa (laughs) but our studio became a real gathering for people Creative mo- yeah, thinkers, yeah, yeah. because, uh, you know, Dan and I were both involved in the theater world. I was choreographing a lot of musicals, and everybody right, had friends, right. so it was kind of a, a central place. I had to walk upstairs. It had this great history. It had been uh, a USO, but it had also been oh, wow. a, a, a home to a coven of white witches. <laughs> I mean, <it> just, <laughs> you know, there was a hexagon on the floor when we first moved in, so we'd blast that off. But there was so much about it that was so right, mm-hmm. and uh, so, you know, we were lucky uh this you know we were able to raise money and write grants and had a you know sort of this wonderful donor who continued to be 
interested in what we did, and we performed in Majestic twi- twice a year, and we bought in choreographers like Moses Pendleton, the founder oh, wow. of Momix, uh-huh. Judith yeah. Jamison, who yeah. became the artistic director of Alan Ailey, Peter Pucci, who has his own company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was mm-hmm. a really vibrant time. And you, uh, you mentioned uh, having uh, done work for other organizations in town where you were able to get support for Dancers Unlimited. What were some of those? Well, uh, when you... Because, I mean, I know Dallas Summer Musicals was a a big thing for you. It was, but it was was a journey to get there. You Mm -hmm. know, it's um, the way it was in Dallas at that time is that there were a lot of amateur organizations who put on musical productions every year. Oh. And so... um, Junior League of Dallas was one. This was a huge production they did. It was like a review. Okay, there's some support there to be gleaned. (laughs) And then uh, Tom Hughes, who was the creator of Dallas Summer Musicals, was the producer of a show for, of all places, the White Rock uh, Kiwanis Club. So you kind of moved up. You started in these amateur productions, and if you've... Tom Hughes hired you to do the Kiwanis Club show. It was Tom Hughes, the producer of Dallas Summer Musicals, so you felt like, okay, I've made yeah. that jump now. Yeah. And then also at that time, we had a tremendous amount of theaters. There were so many theaters in town. Yeah. And they all did musicals, the Greenville Avenue Theater, uh, New Arts Downtown, mm-hmm. the Plaza Theater. Mm-hmm. All of these theaters did musicals. And on many of them, we did original musical reviews, like one composer reviews, Porter and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Gershwin, you know, which was great fun because we created them from scratch. Right, right. Yeah, we, right. we chose the songs. We gave that trajectory. So that's how then I became connected to Dallas Summer Musicals. And I remember when uh, Tom Hughes called me, it was Carousel. It's my first <laughs> show with Tom. I didn't sleep at all the night before because if anybody listening know, knew Tom Hughes, he was one of the most elegant, scary people in this very clear way. You know, mm-hmm. he was, he, uh, he was, uh, very, he had a very British quality about him. It mm-hmm. was ta- thin and elegant in the way mm-hmm. he talked. And so, you know, of course, you know, that w- it made getting Dallas Summer Musicals was the top of the heap for, you know, at that point in, in town in terms right. of choreographing musicals. Right. So I didn't sleep at all the night before. Mm-hmm. I was such a wreck. Uh, but I got the job. And um, in those days with Dallas Summer Musicals, they didn't bring shows in. If they right. bought in one show a year, that was a lot. And that was rare. They might mm-hmm. co-produce with somebody and bring that show in, but all those shows were done from scratch. So we'd start at nine o'clock in the morning and, and go till eleven o'clock. With all local that, artists, right? Uh, actually, people came from all over the country to, to audition. audition because you okay. got your equity card by being okay. at Dallas Summer Music. That's right. how I got my yeah. equity card. I was yeah. in, I was in a production of High Button Shoes. Gosh, I don't think I knew you were an equity member. I well, not anymore. I've paid my dues in years, <laughs> but but it was a big deal in those yeah. days, you yeah. know. And so uh, Dallas Summer Musicals afforded performers that so we would we would audition 500 dancers and and then so the choreographer and director of every show they were doing would be there Mm -hmm. and um and then we just cast all those shows at one time Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it was quite the process so um so sticking with you know the professional activity you also have done uh commercials and industrials <laughs> what would you place? pay the rent some well you know yeah 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 i mean i don't know what you want to you know but i was thinking about looking at sort of the, the 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 possible list of questions and thinking about such a varied career in so many ways you know 
you know, uh, being the co-creator of a, a significant dance company here in Dallas and um, doing choreography for Dallas Summer Musicals and other ones, and then the commercial sort of industrial thing. So, well, you know, it, it's such an interwoven environment, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the creative environment. And, and so, you know, if you had a reputation and, uh, you know, people had read about you or heard about you, they would also, co you know, contact you for the commercial world. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, you learn to crank it out fast mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. uh, get paid really well for doing it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, uh, you know, that makes me think about our students, how we prepare them to go out and do voiceovers and commercials. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's how the rent gets paid. Well, you many. know, in those days, everybody did. I mean, the industrial yeah. environment, every major company did industrials mm -hmm. from car dealerships to you know the air conditioning folks who you know who <laughs> sold air conditioners and big air conditioning places in Dallas I mean to liquor companies because that's how they you know revved up their their uh sales force mm -hmm. was to have these huge conventions and then right. have these industrial productions that told them about the new products they were doing and then also you know uh got them psyched i mean mary Kay still does it it's a huge thing right. the mary Kay show right. every year it's right. like a rock star i remember there's a time in the year here where you see like tons of pink cars all around that's it. So, you, know, you know that's it they still do it but most yeah. come it's expensive mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but i learned a lot doing them because you have to do them so quickly and you're collaborating with writers you know i met a lot of writers that mm -hmm. you know matthew posey was was someone i met during oh, that right. actually matthew was in uh um, some of the musicals that I choreographed for uh, New Arts. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Do you know the show Spoke Song? I don't. Matthew had to learn to ride a unicycle. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny because we're rehearsing in this warehouse and we'd be doing, you know, working on something. Then we hear this crash, bang, <laughs> and we're like, oh gosh. And Matthew would go, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> he was just trying to learn to ride the unicycle, which he did. And the New Arts stage was so did. small. And did, I thought, yeah. man. Man. Oh, guy! What a great guy! Um, but you know, people like that—that—that that, that, um, that have been movers and shakers in in Dallas for such mm -hmm. a long time. Um, comedy writers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that um, just you know, people who were doing their craft, and we would come together, and that's how I met my husband. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yes. So you know, he was a director for uh, the then CBS affiliate Channel Four, which is now Fox. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, yeah, Ed he, Delaney, Ed who Delaney, was yeah. an amazing human being. He was doing PSAs mm -hmm. for uh, many of the theaters that I was doing. Well, all of the theaters, really, mm -hmm. I was doing musicals for. And so we met doing those PSAs. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I think Spoke Song might have been the first one we did together wow. now that I think uh -huh. about it. But yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, through him, then got involved in people working in the film right. world. And, and that's all. So you have all of this abundance of professional experience that you then brought to SMU as a member of the full-time regular faculty in what year 1990? Uh, well 91 I came as an adjunct uh -huh. and then I became full-time in 94 I think and then went on tenure track in 98. Uh -huh. um, and, and so so I just want to turn your loose to talk about teaching. Okay. You know, here and what's been significant because there are various chapters in our lives and so you've got this SMU tenure track tenured faculty is that if that's fair enough to oh sure turn you loose on well let me just back up and say that sure. one of the reasons I came back to teach is because I remember saying one night to Ed 
that I really miss teaching because when you're a freelance choreographer, you don't teach in the same way you teach when you're in the classroom. You're constantly right. teaching choreography, but you, you know, you, there's a, there's a product deadline, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you got to make that. And I just told Ed that I, you know, I really miss teaching watching somebody progress over a period of time and he said to me well why don't you write a letter to Betty Ferguson who I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. she had been one of my teachers and mentors in both undergraduate and graduate school and see if they need anybody so I wrote a letter to Betty and she called me about a week later and said well you know will you come do some classes on an adjunct basis and I said absolutely you know so and I I, didn't really ever think about will this turn into something else because I kept my freelance choreography career going on at that point uh and so you know I've started realizing how much I really liked it and uh then had the opportunity to go full-time which I took and at that point I'd become really interested in the idea of historical preservation I had Mm -hmm. um our then chair Jill Beck uh, was very involved in the world of, of Laban studies, uh, particularly Laban notation. Right. And I'd, I'd been introduced to that idea early on, but never really had someone light the spark in me about the vibrancy of what that was about. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think, you know, um, to start thinking about the theoretical underpinnings of, of dance was a new idea to me because, you know, you think about technique mm-hmm. as being the theoretical underpinnings, which it is to some degree. But then there's also, from Laban's perspective, this idea of how we relate to the natural world as mm-hmm. dancers, you know, mm-hmm. how the, the how the, th- the three-dimensional planes can come together into an icosahedron, mm-hmm. you know, our connection to this, 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 these ideas of space that are universal. And so I... Um, and also the idea that the that dance could be preserved in a form that was so complete as lava notation. Well, and one of the things that Rube, you know Rudolf Laban gave us was this alphabet, for want of a better term, for um, putting on paper what we're seeing in terms of the steps on the stage, so that somebody could look at that and then recreate it or can, is that an accurate way of yeah but you know what I think and I know it's even more than that well it is and I think what people miss sometimes is that he didn't start with notation he started with investigating what space what we call space harmony which uh-huh. is how how we have this space you know like we're sitting right now in this room mm-hmm. we have this space mm-hmm. around us and the people and the things that are in it and the actual space itself and then we also have our personal space so we're right. constantly interacting right. with the architecture we're creating in our personal space mm-hmm. and then how we're interacting with the larger space. And so that became, he, he began to develop a theoretical framework to look at that end so that we could learn the skills about how we do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how that then becomes a language in itself mm-hmm. that creates emotional terrain. You know, because we as dancers right. don't have dialogue to create the emotional terrain. It's the movement that mm-hmm. we do. And so understanding mm-hmm. our s- relationship to our own space and the space around us gives us a framework right. to give meaning to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the notation grew out of that investigation, uh-huh. wanting to, to actually, you know, it's like writing down your empirical experience. Uh, right yes you know in a way that relates that experience in things that mean movement 
and the symbols mean movement. They're not words. They inherently right, right. mean movement. Right. Um, so that's that all began to really fascinate me. And so I delved into that a lot more and then became through that involved in uh, preservation projects. Um, my colleague Shelley Berg and I uh, really together did a lot of that work mm-hmm. of bringing in... <clears throat> So there are a lot of things I learned about this process. First of all, don't ever embark on a documentation and preservation project unless you are willing to do all the work it takes to make sure that you have the people with the greatest wisdom in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, the choreographer may be dead, but th- there are still people who learned it from them, or at least there were when I started I working know, on this, yes, right? Really, who yeah. learned it from them. So they're really the primary resource now. And those are the people you have to work with. And you have to share with them through the entire process that their input and everything they say is important. And then collaborate with them on the final products. Mm-hmm. And in that process, too, you're <coughs> then led to what your, what your, you know, what your writing is going to be about. You right. know, for instance, in, in um, the documentation and preservation project of Jose Limon's La Melinche, there was <clears throat> so many facets to that. You know, she's a real person mm-hmm. who has, uh, who, who, you know, was the um, given to Cortez when he came right. to conquer Mexico. To and she was his interpreter. So in Mexican society, there's this huge love hate relationship with her. You know, did she sell us out, or did she do the best as she? best she could as a woman in that unbelievable situation or was it yes to all of that, that yeah you d- you and, know. and and bottom line is it's, it is yes yeah. to all of that because people perceive it in those different ways mm-hmm. and so uh and limon was in some ways trying to capture that in his in his piece mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. my research a lot of my research uh in that was how he got there mm-hmm. you know he had done a whole series of of solos based in um <clears throat> In you know, it's sort of these um, congealed characters in Mexican history. He had you had El Indio, and you had right. El Conquistador, and mm-hmm. then you had the Peon. You had all these characters that he had been exploring solo, and he he bought them into this exploration of La Malinche. So my my a lot of the trajectory of my research was how he how he moved through these mm-hmm. artistic figures and how it got to La Malinche and then how the, that fed into that process. So a lot of my research was, a lot of my writing and research was about that. And then, of course, I created the La Meditation score. Right, right, uh, right. Which is... Which has been invaluable to people who want to know. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's about being able to access the real movement mm-hmm. and the person who set the movement, learned it from Jose, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a right. consummate artist who learned it from Jose. Right. That's, that has been such a, a, a part of the the dance curriculum and the dance division's activities that I've been so impressed by are these reconstructions and these sort of major sort of projects of preserving mm-hmm. uh, works. And well, it's so important. And giving your students the opportunity to put their bodies into the history in a way. History. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. And you know, we're very fortunate too because we have people on the faculty who, you know, worked with Graham and worked mm-hmm. with Balanchine who actually reconstruct works. Whether we're doing a full blown documentation and preservation mm-hmm. project or mm-hmm. not, the dancers have that opportunity to study with mm-hmm. them and, and mm-hmm. learn those works. So so that's what took me on the Laban journey. Yeah. Um 
and you know the many facets of Laban studies. There's you know, it's it's, it's a wonderful, <coughs> gosh, breadth of information mm-hmm, to to mm-hmm. move through and learn from. And it seems like Laban gives you a context for engaging all aspects of dance, whether it's social or cultural or aesthetic or, you know, psychophysical. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I see this in your teaching and just sort of the range of classes that you do. Um, but we're, I, I want you to talk about the trajectory, if you ha- I, you might have done some, but of uh, sort of your history with SMU and ending up now, and looking into retirement, what's been significant, or you know, as you look back, what do you think about <laughs> what's happened over the last <laughs> half of your last life? hundred years? Yeah, uh-huh. All right. Well, you know, it's it's such an interesting journey, and um, it, you know, to go from being a student here to being part of a company predominantly with alums that I met here, you know, and then to go, you know, have my professional career and have the opportunity to come back and teach here. It's just, you know, I mean, I think I'm really blessed, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that this relationship has been so beneficial and has given me the opportunity to grow and give back to Mm -hmm. the environment. And, you know, my teaching over time has evolved to let me uh, use the best of, my experience transfer my uh, my experiences in Laban studies predominantly teaching choreography so mm. I, I I pull from all the Laban systems to the way I teach choreography and then I've also had the opportunity to uh, develop a class called the evolution of American musical theater which so many of my theater students just love taking well, from you it's you know musical theater is such an important component mm. to the fabric of our Yes, it is. I mean, there's just no question about it. Would you call it the American art form or kind of the performance form? I mean, it's, I mean, there were operettas in Europe and things like that, but in terms of the American musical, it seems that, and then later on, sort of England, you know, mm. did some of it, but it's so much of it, it was launched and has its roots here. Well, I think, you know, we can certainly, you got Gilbert and Sullivan in the that's, 1800s that's who, right. who, you know, who are shifting how we think about what the combination of music and lyrics and movement could be. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about the American musical journey is that it's it's made up of so many different cultures and influences, right. particularly African-American culture. I think culture. that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, and so it makes it unique because it's got, you know, interestingly enough, you know, when you think about the the major forces certainly in the last century in musical theater they were people of jewish heritage right. who were highly influenced by african-american forms right. jazz you know, right and the, the choreographers too right. um so that's an interesting blend of mm-hmm. sounds and ideas and you know american slang all these things that had so much I to do say with and it. movement potential sort of a sense of certain ways of moving you right know? yeah right so in this class because you know, I mean, the, so the so the basic premise of the class is is that a, a masterwork of American musical theater has a book mm-hmm. that uh, gives us a, a, a multifaceted characters in situations that reveal the many facets of their characters, has music and lyrics that tell us something about the emotional experiences mm-hmm. of those characters, mm-hmm. and then it has movement that 
calls on some of the physical attributes of that character to form a framework for mm -hmm. stylizing their movement. Mm -hmm. So we've got these three things that ha should be intertwined seamlessly. And mm. to me, that's a masterwork. So what we do in this class is we look at how those things evolved separately because it didn't just like get born as mm -hmm. these three things, mm -hmm. you know, dance and minstrelsy and, and, and writing, a lot of writing and burlesque and, you know, just the, the way that it evolved over time starts yeah. gelling, yeah. really gelling at showboat. Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I, teach my theater history students when I do it. But well, it's it like all of a sudden musicals could be about things that were dark and, yeah, right. you know, and difficulties uh, of life, racism, interracial marriage. And the marriage songs would tell a story and the ballet and would be about the characters in her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 As what, uh, Gwen Verdon has a, a famous quote she's talking about how, she's actually talking about Fosse's work, but she says, uh, he was so influenced by Agnes DeMille, who was, of course, influential to Jerome Robbins, he said, because no longer were dancers just animated wallpaper. Oh, wow. And it's like, what a great way to think about that. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. That, yeah, you know, dancers had, s dance and dancers had sort of been set aside as something that, you know, visually is right. fun. And when the story started getting more serious, then dance had to take on a more serious role right. and that's when the ballet choreographers like Balanchine and DeMille started yeah. bringing their skills into things. Right, right. So I've got one final question for mm -hmm. you Patty. Yes. As we celebrate the Meadows School's 50th anniversary what have been the biggest changes you've seen at Meadows and SMU and do you have any hopes or concerns for the future as we're getting ready to say goodbye. <laughs> you know, I will talk about Meadows because that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's my, my right. real experience. Right. What I've seen happen in Meadows, and this is so much for the better, is that the real leadership mm -hmm. has moved from the good old boys club right. <laughs> to innovative thinking and, uh, a sense of importance of everybody that's involved. And, you know, I mean, I'm particularly speaking about Sam. Yes. I think he's, um, Our Dean, you know, Sam yes, Holland, yeah. he's amazing. Well, yeah. because he really, he is a forward thinker, but he also respects the past. And, you know, we've been on this trajectory of moving in that direction for a while. I mean, I think Jose bought some of that. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to shake it up and do change. Mm -hmm. and Jose then, Bowen. Yep. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, Sam, sort of gave that a little more structure I think in terms of his historical knowledge mm -hmm. and you know his just his ability to yeah. uh you know celebrate what everybody does and see what the future looks like I mean, we're about to embark on a major renovation it's been talked about for years mm -hmm. you know and he managed to pull that together yeah. I think that you know I mean I can say as a chair I always felt very supported and you know that that Sam was invested, so that kind of change in leadership I think has given everybody a sense of excitement. Mm -hmm. I yeah. feel that. Yeah, I, I feel think that people true. are excited and um, you know looking forward to the future as we move forward. Yeah, Patty, thank you. It's been so much fun. I know we never talked to each other through microphones. No, we before. have not. But you know, and, <laughs> and I knew, and I knew a lot of what you were talking about but I learned some things about hey. you and we'll have to talk about it some more the next time we split a bottle of wine there you go there you go thanks dear yes thank you